Welcome back to another episode of Mormon Traditionalist Podcast. My name is Jaron O'Driscoll, and I am your host. And today we are finishing up our conversation with Kim Smith. But before we get into it, remember, leave a rating and review wherever you guys are listening to this podcast. It will help me get this show in front of other traditionalists like you. Now, let's get into the episode. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's all really good information. And, and the thing that I was thinking of was just the fact that Joseph knew that he was going to die. Right. Um, it would make sense that he would be, be doing those things and getting those things ready to, to pass along, which, which would indicate that his, his, his mission had been completed, that he right. had uh, accomplished what he had set out to accomplish. I, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, it was actually uh, Porter Rockwell who he, he first confided in that he knew he was going to die. He, he was actually with, with Hiram at the time, and Hiram had walked on ahead, and Hiram had told him and, and Porter as they were falling behind and talking that they should hurry along. And and Joseph said something to the effect to Porter of, um, you know, why why should I hurry for I'm, I'm going to my death, and that was I remember hearing that and and just going oh wow like, this this wasn't a surprise, this right. is something he knew was coming and the Lord obviously is going to take steps to make sure that the work is pushed forward and that all things are in place before he's going to allow the prophet to to die, right exactly and even just. The revelations themselves, that's what we forget. Joseph Smith said there are no error in the revelations that he revealed, right? So even the revelations themselves vindicate Brigham Young because in section 90 of the Doctrine and Covenants, you know, this is where the Lord reveals to Joseph Smith that, you know, he's, you know, he says, verily, I say unto you, the keys of this kingdom shall never be taken from you while thou art in the world, neither in the world to come. So Joseph Smith is a dispensation head, right? He is over this dispensation. He holds the keys. I mean, he has authority. We believe, and it was taught in the early days of the church, that Joseph Smith still holds the keys, right? And they'll never be taken from him. And But then it says in, in the following verse, it says, Nevertheless, through you shall the oracles be given to another, yea, even to the church. And so we know that the, the Lord, through Joseph Smith, has given those keys also to the church and that they, they will not be taken away until the Lord comes again. And so just that revelation alone, the idea that the Brigham Young observed the 30 of the church is the revelations just don't back that up because by virtue of him being the president of, of the quorum of the 12 apostles, he had the keys and he had the right to lead the church even without the tran his, the transfiguration of Brigham Young, right? By, by the vote of the members of the church and by virtue of the keys that were given to him by the prophet Joseph Smith and through the revelation that the Lord gave to the Joseph Smith, the key that the church hold, held the keys with Joseph Smith. By that virtue alone, Brigham Young, he never could have absorbed authority because he had the authority, if that makes sense. No, it does. It, it also makes me think, just trying to think, you know, detective mind, if Joseph Smith, and now correct me if I'm wrong, Joseph stated that the keys were here and that he would be able, that he would pass them on and that they would not be taken away, correct? Yes. Okay. So I mean, he, he still holds the, I guess he's still, he's a dispensation head. 
he's not, he wasn't just the president of the church, right? He is right. a dispensation head. So he's still in charge of the, of the dispensation. But again, as this revelation says, he's knowing he's going to die. So he bestows those keys upon the 12 apostles before he dies. Right. So, so I guess the point I'm making is that if they understand that, then these, these people that are pushing this movement would have to believe that Joseph Smith did receive the keys from the Lord. Mm-hmm. So if he also stated that uh, what would happen with the keys and they're saying that didn't happen, how do they not go, okay, Joseph Smith was a liar and, and by, by default have to throw the baby out with the bathwater? That, that, but- that's just very telling to me, unless they're somehow claiming that they are getting that authority and have that it was given to somebody else secretly or something. And they have that, those keys now. Right. Well, I mean, we have, we've seen like the Denver snuffer movement. I don't know if you've heard of that, or he, he claims that the, the keys were wrested away from the church and given to him. So it, he at least acknowledges that the church has the keys. This doctrine of Christ group won't acknowledge that. So they would have to believe that either the revelations are wrong. Right. Well, they or, would have to believe, they have to believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet, a true prophet to get it from the Lord. I don't understand how they get around the fact that by believing that Joseph Smith was a prophet and the keys got transferred improperly, how how they ignore or get around the fact that that prophet that they believe in uh, said that, that that would not be happening. (laughs) If if that makes sense. Well, essentially too, in, in just my conversations with them through, you know, social media, you know, I've, I've, I've debated these things with, it was some of their members and, and whenever you present evidence that's contrary to this theory about Brigham Young, they, they outright reject any evidence, either they revise it or they reject it. And they'll say, well, we know that some of the, you know, the sections of Doctrine and Covenants were, you know, were changed or, you know, Brigham Young changed them or Brigham Young changed the history. And, you know, he changed the history to match his claims. More, so more conjecture without physical evidence to back. Right. It up. And none of this has any evidence to back it up. That, that that's the thing. It's just, if anything, if there's any evidence that doesn't match their narrative, it was Brigham Young lied. He made it up. He invented it. Yeah. This is, this <laughs> is changed diaries. I mean, Brigham Young must've been a busy man. You know, he's leading right. the saints across the plains, but you know, he has time to like write in everybody's journals and you know, he's changing <laughs> the history. And, you know, I did, that's another interesting point I thought of really quick is that, um, right, also right before the, Joseph Smith was murdered, he sitting in the council with the 12, he, he told them, and he actually gave them a prophecy. He said, he told them that the history of the church has to go even before the doctrine. And he said, here, let me prophesy. If you do not keep the history up to date, you will fall into the hands of unrighteous men. And do you know who he put in charge of the history of the church? One of the men, he had six men that he put in charge set apart to be in charge of updating and correcting the history of the church. And one of those men was Willard Richards. So imagine if you want to take out the church, first you take out Brigham Young. Church has no priesthood authority. You take out Willard Richards. The history is all wrong. You can change the doctrine. You can change the restoration. You can throw out anything you don't like about the restoration and you can start your own movement. And that's what's going on. Yeah, I've, I've touched on this this topic a bit in in previous episodes but th- but it's it's a tactic of satan 
to do this. I mean, we won't go down this rabbit hole. It's a different discussion for a different day, um, but he's doing that today in everything. I mean, if you can rewrite the history of, of our of our nation, of um, you know the history of the church, of anything, you can, you can start shedding it or showing it in a different light and start right. start bringing those people, you know, as as the, the new Mormon historians say, bringing them down from their pedestal, right? Right. Um, it's very telling to me when you have something like this that's based so much on conjecture and off so many assumptions without evidence to back it up. And you pair that with, you know, the, the person leading this, you know, now says, I have this authority. They go to the trouble to tear down historical figures while simultaneously saying, but I, it was me. It's actually me. I'm the solution. It's not them. It's, it's me. You know, it's, it's a very dirty politician tactic. Right. Uh, con artist 101, you know, if you have somebody like that, not backing anything up and saying, follow me while pointing the finger at somebody else. I mean, this is something that the media does today. It's all it's all about fear and, and, and anger, right? If you can make something sensational or make somebody afraid or angry about something, um, you can get them emotional and then they can, you know, it makes it easy to ignore the evidence. And which I, is why I think this from the sounds of it, this type of movement sounds a, a lot more dangerous than uh, prior movements, you know. Uh, I did a previous episode on, on Philastus Hurlbut and Mormonism Unveiled, and it's so nice how everything's been broken down because they've actually put evidence out there that makes it so easy to discredit it when they've based their entire narrative off that evidence. And so you actually have a battlefield to, to fight on. When you're dealing with this and you're dealing with a lot of conjecture, uh, I guess it's, it's like uh, any other uh, baseless conspiracy theory, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you know flat earthers or... Uh, you know, you know, pick your conspiracy, your actual real conspiracy, and it's it, it's just got all the, the the same qualities. Right. And another thing that it's a, I think it's important to point out just for your audience is, again, to realize who's behind this, because I it's it's amazing how I've heard people who don't know who's behind it, but they've heard people talking about it in social media. So they're actually starting to kind of wonder or question but I think it's interesting that um, those that actually in Nauvoo, so going back historically, those in Nauvoo who did reject the ordained leadership of Brigham Young, they are the ones that also failed to help Brigham Young um, build the Nauvoo Temple, which I think is interesting because that was another thing that Joseph Smith said. He said he knew he wouldn't live to see the completion of the Nauvoo Temple, but he was adamant it needs to get finished. These ordinances need to be given before the saints can go west because Joseph Smith was preparing the saints to go west. I mean, there's the Rocky Mountain prophecy that, you know, the saints would, would one day go to the Rocky Mountains. But um, those in this movement, too, they also reject temple ordinances and the temple garment. So the, in one of their... I, I guess you could say meetings, what would be the right word? They're trying to win converts to their cause. You know, they actually have said, you, you know, you need to stop wearing the temple garment because it, it represents Brigham Young, right? Because it's through Brigham Young that we have our temple ordinances, you know, because of Brigham Young, essentially. And so they no longer wear the temple garment and they reject temple ordinances. And so I think people need to be aware of that. Like, this isn't a rejection of just Brigham Young and the church. It's a rejection of actual temple ordinances. Yeah, that's, that's really incredible. And, and you get down to the meat and potatoes of it like that. You know, by their fruits, you shall know them, right? Right. And it sounds like this is just another one of Satan's, you know, very sneaky tactics. 
you know, uh, using that emotion and, and distortion of history to take away the very things that are going to take us to, to eternal life. Right. Right. I think that's, that's really dangerous. And there's a lot of, I, I don't know, for me, like everyone's got a bias. Like I understand that. I know I, I've got a bias. I don't really care about people's bias. So I just care that they tell the truth. Everybody has a bias. That's not necessarily indicative of uh, motive, but just telling the truth. So, so I do understand that, that, that I have a bias in all this, but there are so many red flags that go up for me in this that are just, um, you know, reminiscent of so many other movements that get uh, drawn away and go down uh, really dark paths and do really, really terrible things. And it's always these leaders that uh, denounce someone else, claim they have the answers and uh, start taking the glory for themselves, right? Where have we, where have we right. heard that lesson? And I know I've already said it, but I'll, I'll reiterate, I think this is a, a really dangerous, dangerous thing because there's nothing to debunk, right? When there, when there is no basis for it, when we can't come back and say, hey, look, here's the evidence that shows to the contrary. You know, you know like, like I said a minute ago about uh, Mormonism unveiled, that's uh, through, through historical documents, very easy to, to debunk. But when we're talking about history so long ago and we start, uh, you know, putting putting pieces together when it's too far gone to be able to prove um, through physical evidence one way or another what happened, you get into some really gray, gray areas and, and people that are very easily led astray and can get uh, overly emotional or be led more by emotion. I can just see this being a, a very dangerous and, and dark path and, and movement. What is this this guy that started this this movement or this church? What is their success like? I know you said some members, you know, claim to still be church going members or maybe even do go to church but follow this line of thinking. What what are they doing? The the leadership. What what is their what are they getting are they getting from this? Is there any other I don't know outside motives that are obvious that they're or rewards they are reaping from this or is it just you know as far so far as we can tell is it just the the notoriety? Well, I don't want to mischaracterize anybody because I, I do believe that there, there have been some good, honest people that have, have been, I guess, deceived in this movement. And I'm acting in, a, in the spirit of defense, right? I, I'm trying to help those that are the honest, who may have been deceived. Hopefully they can see the light and, and we can help to strengthen you know their testimony. But what I've noticed is, is that mostly the the leading members of this group of the Doctrine of Christ group, you know, they have a lot of animosity towards the church, and the the their documentary will pretty much make them famous. I guess you could say they've had it submitted to several uh, film festivals, so you know, there's a lot of money to be made. And again, I'm not, I don't want to declare that as a motive, but surely when you've you've made the investment in a movie. And it has a potential to put you on the map a little bit. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of motive for them to really convince people that, you know, their narrative is the true narrative and, you know, they have the truth, if that makes sense. Right. Which is, right. It, it's scary to me because th th this is people's testimonies that are at stake and their, you know, the spiritual lives. You know, we, if people honestly believe the church doesn't have the Melchizedek priesthood, then then everything crumbles. Like I said, your temple marriage is, is not real. Nothing's real. Your patriarchal blessing is not real. And, and, and you basically have to throw everything away. And, and for me, that's just, that's devastating to think of people out there that 
would be willing to throw that away because they've been deceived or duped into this this new sensational conspiracy theory. Right. And and you can't you can't necessarily fault people too much for for being misled, right? I mean, everybody will be held accountable for what they're doing, but I honestly can't imagine a more horrifying situation than than having to get a, to the other side and and figure that out a little too late. Um, right. That's the the prospect of that is terrifying. Um real quick um, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but was it not Joseph Smith that prophesied that the church would reach to to kindreds, nations, tongues, and people that it would uh, permeate through throughout the earth? Was that uh, a prophecy from Joseph Smith? Yes, absolutely. So, I don't, is this something that's come up? And maybe you know, to this group and any other you know branch off faction that claims they have the actual priesthood and the actual keys and the actual rights, what is their uh, explanation for the fact that? that their church is either so small or some of them come and go and die? Um, is it just, oh, it just hasn't grown yet? I mean, there's so many other things surrounding that in the last days that just point to the fact that that is not the case. <laughs> right. Well, I, I do believe that they, they honestly believe that it will, their movement will grow and that they'll fulfill those prophecies. I know that they believe, you know, they believe they have a higher order of the church. So, so, so some of them will say, no, we believe the church is still good. It just, it has, it only has the Aaronic priesthood and it's just a preparatory church, but we have the Melchizedek priesthood. So we have a higher order of the church, but you know, I, I just really like, I always go back to the book of Mormon. Okay. And I love Ezra Taft Benson's statement about the book of Mormon, where he says the book of Mormon exposes the enemies of Christ. And he says, the type of apostates that we have in the Book of Mormon are the type of apostates that we have today. And I think that church history functions the same way. It, really, it reveals who Joseph Smith's enemies were. It reveals those who, who didn't stay faithful. It reveals those who turned their back on Joseph Smith. And it, re, and it also reveals those who stayed loyal, right? And Joseph Smith consistently said that there were only two loyal apostles. Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball. Those were the only apostles that never turned on Joseph Smith. You know, in the Kirtland period, we have, you have all three Book of Mormon witnesses. You have a third of the Book of, of the, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, all apostatizing. You know, they, they take over the Kirtland temple and they swear that they're, you know, that they are going to get rid of Joseph Smith. And the only two people that defended him were Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball. So history reveals those who stay loyal, but it also reveals the apostates and every single person that tried to start their own church after the death of Joseph Smith. Um, you have, again, we have Sidney Rignan that I talked about. You have James Strange, and then you have the reorganized church. None of those movements were successful in observing the authority away from the church, and none of them were successful in in their attempts to, to be the, you know, quote unquote, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so this is just, you know, history is going to repeat and eventually this movie, this movement will die and meet its demise, like every movement before it, but not before it takes people down with them. And so that is what I'm personally feel passionate about is just defending the truth. So people will not be hurt spiritually. Right. That, that's the, the whole point of this podcast, Kim, 
um, I, I've I've said this before. There are people that need to that need to hear the truth. There are people that are being drawn away by a lot of these movements, and some of them are are already in it too deep. I, I don't necessarily think that nobody is is capable of redemption, but there are a lot of people out there that are going to see this and going to be really tempted to jump on the bandwagon. And we right. want to get those people back before they jump over the other side. Right. And you've made a really compelling case here. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy for, for someone to just say, oh, there's no evidence. There's nothing pointing towards it. But when you actually go and look at what they're doing and, and can back it up and, and what you're telling us, you know, with, with the ballistics, with the reenactments, with, you know, all this stuff is, is, you know, conjecture. Um, it's a lot of uh, grasping at straws. It's making a lot of assumptions based off of uh, circumstantial evidence rather than empirical um, evidence or even anecdotal evidence. It's, it's really important to, to understand that, that if there's not something like that to back it up, then we can set it aside. And not that there's anything wrong with understanding and learning these things, right? I know years ago, I would have said, you know, I never would have sat down and, and looked into Mormonism unveiled or, or read any of it or read the CES letter. But understanding that these things are, are there, that they're out there, I think is important. It's important to understand. And I think this is really good what you're doing, Kim, with your research so that people, you know, can understand if they ever come across that, um, maybe can have that heads up and understand where this movement came from um and what it's what it's based upon before anybody gets too far over that uh, peak and falls over the edge. Right. And you know just for your audience so they're listening you know those that are listening and because eventually this every I, I'm sure that every member of the church at least in Utah will will hear of this movement especially when their documentary is released. And I just want to point out again that history can be manipulated, it can be distorted. That's been the tactic of, of every anti-Mormon, every progressive not just in church history, but American history, is to present a fragment, fragmentary, one-sided, and distorted view of church history through selective use of documents so they can push an agenda, a narrative. And I just want your audience to know that you know not everybody researches, not everybody knows a lot of the history of the church. Like I said, I it's kind of just a passion. It's kind of a hobby. I don't get paid. I I just, I, I do research, right? And I do primary source documentation for anybody who has any questions about this or any faith crisis question when it comes to historical matters, they can email me at any time at defendingtherestoration at gmail.com. And I'm happy to provide any documentation about anything, any question they have, anything that will help them to kind of navigate their way through any of these movements, whether it be the new Mormon history movement or this, the Brigham killed Joseph movement, anything that's causing them to have a faith crisis or to doubt or to question, we want to get them real answers with the real facts, with the real history, with the real data, because it's there. Great, Kim. Thank you so much for that. And we'll definitely put that in the show notes for, for anybody to contact you. Kim, we're going to have to get back on and do this again. I'm sure that, you know, the, as you said, this movement will uh, will go on and die, but there undoubtedly will uh, be people with questions as it does push forward, especially as this documentary gets closer to releasing and then finally does release. We're definitely going to have to uh, have you back on again and, and maybe even at 
maybe even at some point have to do a sit down and a, a break and break down that documentary be, uh, piece by piece in, in right. real time and actually go through that once they've once they've established that. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for for taking the time to sit down and uh, and have this conversation. I, I really appreciate it. I think you're doing a lot of good um, with your research and what you're doing. Uh, again, thank you so much for for having the courage to sit down here and and have this conversation. Thank you. That's it for my interview with Kim Smith. What an amazing conversation, folks. I want to echo a point that Kim made, which is that she does this because she cares about her fellow brothers and sisters in the gospel. No one pays her to do what she does. Just like me in this podcast, it's a labor of love, something we feel called to do. Contrast that with the movement that's spreading this nonsense about Brigham Young having Joseph assassinated. At the least, they have money to recoup from producing the documentary. And they are trying to pull people into their movement with sensationalism. Because this narrative by default discounts the truthfulness of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when you're light on hard empirical evidence, you have to lean hard into that sensationalism and deception to get people to pay attention. And they are very deceptive for a couple of reasons I can see. The first reason is how they promote it. I watched the trailer for this documentary and it feels very targeted at faithful members because they completely hide that it's an anti-Mormon film. You could assume from watching it that they are just trying to, you know, identify the mob member that shot Joseph. They've carefully disguised their promotion of the film as something neutral or even positive towards the church. Because if they didn't, then they'd never get faithful members to watch it. Reason number two is that some of these Doctrine of Christ people have actually reached out to me since part one dropped, and one of them faked that they were a fan and were catching up on my episodes, and then asked twice for me to do an interview with him. I didn't reply after his first invitation, then he followed up a day later, no longer trying to hide his buddy-buddy fan vibe, and said I was lying in part one, and with a serious tone of entitlement, all but demanded I give him a platform to promote their narrative. I promptly blocked this guy because, honestly, folks, I don't have time to argue with every Tom, Dick, and Harry that wants to tear down the church. I work 50 hours a week, run two companies on the side, as well as a farm. I don't have time or energy to argue with these people. And if this guy really was catching up on episodes and had listened to last week's episode, which he said he did, that means he should have listened to episode one, where within the first minute, I said this podcast is not for having conversations with apostates. Super deceptive. Then later, another one of their followers messaged me and asked if I wanted to do an interview with someone from the Doctrine of Christ group. Obviously, he didn't bother to research what this podcast is about either. It's so funny. It's like they think I'm just for sale or something. Like I'll just do an interview with anyone because I'm desperate for content or coverage or something. They probably think everyone is like them and wants those conversations and depend on the controversy and sensationalism like they do. That's not how things are done here. I don't need sensational content to get people to listen. This podcast is growing and thriving without all that crap. Foundational and timeless truths and principles last. Sensational narratives don't. And don't worry, they'll have their time to present their argument when Kim and I sit down and debunk their documentary in real time. Don't forget, folks, that if you want to contact Kim with any faith crisis questions or for any of her documentation and research, you can email her at defendingtherestoration at gmail.com. Don't forget you can also send me your questions, comments, and hate mail at mormontraditionalist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at mormontraditionalist for more content. And until next time, remember, never 
back down from the truth.